Welcome to The Christian Outlook, the weekly radio program that sorts through the issues in our fast-changing world in a way that honors your Christian faith. Brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. This week, in the aftermath of the overturning of Roe v.ersus Wade, we'll look at the issue of abortion and culture-shaping efforts on behalf of life. 64% of Americans believe there should be some kind of restriction on abortion. And we'll look at the latest challenge to girls' sports, this time a middle school athlete in West Virginia. The male athlete displaced over 100 female athletes, including some of his own teammates. Plus, a special treat, Alistair Begg addresses would-be nominees for the office of President of the United States. When a nation turns its back on the living God, it doesn't believe nothing, it believes all kinds of things. I'm Scott Furrow. Great to be with you today. I'm the host of the Pastor Scott Show, heard Monday through Friday in Southern California. I'm coming to you from my home station of KKLA in Los Angeles. You can catch my program each day through our live stream at KKLA.com and also through the TuneIn radio app. Take a moment to follow the Christian Outlook on Twitter at TC Outlook. That's TC Outlook. Thanks for joining us. We'll begin with the issue of life. We have long recognized that our nation has been polarized on the issue of abortion. That polarization became much more acute in the wake of the Dobbs decisions overturning Roe versus Wade. Red states have shown a willingness to protect a baby in the womb, and blue states, like my own home state of California, have moved in a dark direction, protecting a right to take the life of the unborn baby right up to the moment of birth. We need to create a culture of life. That's what our friends at Focus on the Family are trying to do. One piece of that culture-building exercise is pro-life legislation, legislation that they know may be difficult to pass, but will be key to starting a national conversation. Nicole Hunt of Focus was a guest this week on my program. People, particularly in California or in states that this seems like kind of a lost cause, it isn't. Most people, even in our state, are in the middle. You know, the, the polls, if you just poll people in their opinion about abortion... A small majority says, yeah, first trimester, we're, we're okay with it. But the majority says second and third, we're not okay with it. In fact, right here in Los Angeles, uh, some people, some activists helped reject a pregnancy uh, termination center that would come into Beverly Hills that uh, focuses on an eighth and ninth month terminations. And uh, my understanding is that was rejected. And yeah, I- yeah, you're absolutely right. So in early June... Gallup had a poll that came out on abortion, and in that poll, it demonstrated that 64% of Americans believe there should be some kind of restriction on abortion. Mm -hmm. So the truth is, is that the abortion industry is lying and the media is pushing it out as if it's the truth to suggest that the majority of Americans would like to have abortion on demand. That's just not true. Most Americans believe that what the abortion industry would like to do, which is abortion on demand anytime, anyplace, anywhere, for any reason— most Americans believe that's too extreme and it's radical. And and so where we find ourselves is uh, fi- trying to find out, okay, here we are. Uh, most pro-lifers believe that life should be protected and that human dignity begins in the womb because that's a human life. But our culture hasn't quite caught up to where the legality is, right? Which is that uh, there is no constitutional right. And so they're not sure what to think, except that they know that there is some type of human life, because at some point, the majority of them believe that abortion should be restricted. 
So here we are now kind of left in the middle and it's our job really to engage culture and start culture shaping. That really is challenging the narrative that the abortion industry is trying to push on culture that says that, oh, it's only a fetus. It's only a fetus. So don't worry about this. But we all know when that little girl puts her hand on her mama's belly and feels the baby kick, she says it's a baby right. because that's the truth of the matter. It really is a baby. But this is all about what culture shaping is all about. And so each of these have an important part to play in helping our culture to see that life in the womb really is human life and that that life begins at the moment of conception. Uh, Nicole, what's the pushback? Is there Has there been any official you know pushback that says, no, this is bad? Because it does seem to me that this is hard to argue against because really it's not it's not you know, certainly it's pro-life in the sense that you are giving women an, a a better opportunity to choose life. But if you're genuinely pro-choice, then you would support a choice of life the same as you might uh, support a choice of death. What is there any pushback that we should be aware of yet? Yeah, you know, that is you bring up a very, very good point, because a lot of individuals would like to say that they are pro-choice. And in fact, for a long time, the abortion industry said that they were. <laughs> right. But the truth is, is that primarily they're just pro-abortion That's now, right? right? It's, it's about being what is going to save the bottom line for the abortion industry? How are they going to save their business model? And the truth is, is that the abortion industry, they sell one thing for a living and it's abortions. Mm -hmm. That is the one thing that their business model is built off of. And so, of course, they push back on this all of the time. And what we've heard, although we haven't seen this exact legislation um, in Colorado, but what we have heard every time something similar or something that just promotes life. Like, for instance, pregnancy resource centers were targeted this last legislative cycle in Colorado. And of course, what you hear them say is that, they are being deceptive, right? So the abortion industry says that the pregnancy health organizations are being deceptive and they're deceiving women into coming to them for help. Never mind the fact that individual mom after mom after mom got up and gave testimony saying that these pregnancy health organizations helped me. Yeah. <laughs> they helped me find resources. Um, instead, what you hear is that they're trying to deceive. And this is just a nefarious way to create more opportunities for women who want to get abortions to take that opportunity away from them. And so that is the common line that we're hearing mm. from pregnancy, uh, from these abortion um industry handlers, I will say in Colorado, and I wonder if California will soon see this, this last legislative cycle, they tried to ban abortion pill reversal, which is the treatment of progesterone. So in the first 48 hours after a woman begins the first chemical abortion pill, um, if instead of taking the second pill, they get onto a strict regimen of progesterone, which women have been prescribed for the last 40 years. Mm -hmm. If you have a pregnancy that, um, for instance, is, is uh, you know, not, not doing well and you want to try to save the baby or you're just trying to get pregnant, you get progesterone as a woman and then that helps you <laughs> to keep your baby or to get pregnant. And so um, the treatment is progesterone. And about 60, a little bit more than 60% of the time, these women are able to save their babies because they've had a change of heart. So you'd think this is something that is very pro-choice, right? A woman who started an abortion and changes her mind and now wants to save her baby. And the abortion industry has gone after them. And so right now in Colorado, um, it's basically in limbo. Uh, the law went into effect and then our attorney general had to say, okay, we're not going to enforce it quite yet because they were immediately sued. Yeah by um by a, a public interest law firm 
and on behalf of a Catholic health clinic, actually. Yeah. And so um, the rules are currently being stipulated, but sometime around October, we're expecting the rules to come out. And if the rules say by the health organizations, say it's okay for them to, uh, for the state to prosecute these health care organizations that help women get this pill, then it's very likely that we're going to see ourselves, see this lawsuit back in, in motion right. again. But the point is, is that the abortion industry will do everything that they can to keep women from being able to choose yeah. life. It's pretty clear the abortion industry is not really about choice, and it's not really a champion of women. Women are on the losing side when it comes to abortion, and increasingly, women are on the losing side when it comes to girls' sports. The latest chapter in that space comes from the state of West Virginia. I'll let Christina Kiefer explain. The attorney with ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom, was a guest of Don Crow on WAVA in the nation's capital. So West Virginia passed a women's sports law in order to ensure that no female athlete is forced to compete against males. And unfortunately, that law was challenged by this male athlete who demanded to compete in the female category. But what was really interesting is the ACLU claimed that the male athlete would displace no one, that his competition in the female category wouldn't hurt a single girl. And now we know that's clearly not the case. This spring season alone, the male athlete displaced over 100 female athletes more than 280 times, including some of his own teammates who were denied the opportunity to advance to conference championships, championship opportunities they will never get back. So the male athletes' competition in the female category clearly is hurting young women, and that's why we have asked the Fourth Circuit to remove him from the female category. So uh, even though West Virginia has some policies on the books prohibiting this, he went ahead and flaunted those, and uh, and uh, I assume his handlers and those uh, who work with him uh, at the uh, various levels of teachers and coaches and so forth, uh, they must have gone along with it. Is that right? Well, so the ACLU challenged the law, and Alliance Defending Freedom, alongside the state of West Virginia, is defending fairness in women's sports, and we're defending the law. We won at the trial level. The court said that clearly protecting female athletes is constitutional, and it's consistent with Title IX. And then the ACLU did appeal that up to the Court of Appeals. And it's the Court of Appeals that has temporarily allowed this male athlete to dominate the female category. So it's clearly the wrong decision. They did so based on representations from the other side that his competition wouldn't hurt anyone. And we clearly see now that just is not the case. Now, I also read that uh, a three-judge panel of the Fourth Circuit Court uh, reinstated this block. It had been taken down, had it? That's correct. It had been taken down, but they did reinstate it without any legal analysis or explanation for their actions. So at this point, what's the next step? What do you expect will happen from here? Well, as I mentioned, we have asked the Fourth Circuit to remove the male athlete from the female team because there is clear harm happening to female athletes. And that coincides with the continued litigation on appeal. So we have briefed the arguments and we are just waiting on the court to schedule oral argument on the constitutionality of protecting female athletes, which our position is, is clearly constitutional and it is consistent with fairness principles under Title IX. Is he uh, alone in his efforts, or are there other students, uh, transgender, if you will, who are going to follow the same suit or who are trying to uh, go the same route? Because I've always argued it's uh, on its very face, it's very unfair, 
and it's uh, apparently in this case unlawful at this point. Uh, but is this a, a kind of a one-off, one guy who's decided to do this, or is this apt to spread throughout some of the other athletic endeavors in that school or that area? Well, the idea is absurd on its face. We all know that male athletes are generally bigger, faster, and stronger than female athletes, and that's the whole reason we have women's sports as a separate category. I have heard that there are some other male athletes who are interested in competing in the female category in West Virginia, but we certainly see this have seen this become a greater and greater issue across the country as well as more males are filing lawsuits demanding access to women's sports and women's spaces. And so that's why it's just such a privilege to work with Alliance Defending Freedom as we try to defend fairness and safety for female athletes. Coming up, Alistair Begg challenges would-be nominees for the office of president in 2024. Brave enough to say, if you were born as a man, you will die as a man, no matter what you do to yourself. In the next segment of The Christian Outlook. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder. Just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Scott Furrow, host of The Pastor Scott Show. 2024 is, I'm sure most of you are well aware, a deeply divided presidential election cycle. The Iowa caucus has long been first in the cycle. For Republicans, those caucuses will be held on January 15th next year. The GOP candidates have thus already descended on Iowa. Alistair Begg had a unique opportunity to speak to the candidates and the attendees of the Family Leadership Summit last month. Alistair redelivered the address to his own body at Parkside Church outside of Cleveland. We're going to revisit those comments today. Here's Alistair Begg. I listened carefully to all that was said by the others. And what struck me forcibly was every one of the candidates referred to the crushing, catastrophic mental health problem which is pervasive in the nation. It was interesting. Amongst all the things that were said, they all said, how in the world are we going to address the problem where we have so many people in such dire straits. And, of course, part of my privilege was then to speak to the issue and explain just why it is that when a nation turns its back on the living God, it doesn't believe nothing. It believes all kinds of things. 
And so here we have it. Lies that have been hardwired into the thinking of a number of our generations, lies that represent a hostility to a biblical view of the Bible, a hostility to those who want somehow or another to live as Christians in a world that doesn't like what Christians believe. And they say to us, why is it that you believe what you believe? Or why do you believe this about politics? Or why do you believe that about life or about the sanctity of life? Or why do you believe that about sexuality and so on? Why do you believe like this? Then we can tell them, because a biblical view of the world involves the good, the bad, the new, and the perfect. So there is our outline. Number one, good. That's why we began in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God, as you read through the chapter, created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. In fact, it was perfect. Perfect. Now, God here is the God to whom we refer when we make use of the Book of Common Prayer, God unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, from whom no secrets are hidden. The God, if you like, of Lincoln at the Gettysburg Address. Under God was only put into our um, statement of, I believe, in, um, in what, in 1954 by Eisenhower, who added that. And people say, so it's an invention just from the 50s. No. In 1863, Lincoln understood what under God meant. He understood that it wasn't a God who's on our side. It is a God to whom we are accountable. It is a God that we are under, under his jurisdiction, under his authority, under his rule, under his power. In other words, what God says goes. That's what he knew, and that is what is affirmed when we begin with God, the God who has spoken, spoken clearly in creation, that the heavens declare his glory, that the firmament shows his handiwork, Day unto day uttereth speech, night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech, no language, where the voice of God is not heard. It has gone out to the very ends of the earth. There is no person created under God on the face of God's earth that is unaware of the reality of Almighty God, because he has made it known to them in creation, in conscience— and he has, as Ecclesiastes tells us, set eternity in the hearts of men, unable to figure everything out, and yet aware of the fact that his invisible power, his divine authority, has been clearly perceived, as we saw when we studied in Romans chapter 1. And it is on this basis, on the fact that we have been made in the image of God, that we have morality, that we have truth, that we have an eternity that we will one day inhabit. Now, this, you see, as a view of the world, is vastly different, isn't it? 
vastly different from generations that have been brought up now in our lifetime, being told that we cannot speak with any authority at all about there being a Creator God who fashioned us, who made us, to whom we are accountable. No. We listen to the scientists, the post-Enlightenment thinkers who want to separate the reality of a living faith from any sense of rationality at all, and they end up with nothing to say. Stephen Hawking, who was the great champion of the black holes—I've never really—I've I've driven, I've driven my car into a few of them over the winter here, but I don't think those were the ones to which he was referring. But Hawking says, quite honestly, if there is no God, and we have evolved by chance through millions of years— then everything that happens, good or bad, must be viewed as simply the result of random, pitiless indifference. From this perspective, to ask why anybody's here or why anything happens is not only meaningless, it is irrelevant. Alistair went on to give a rather direct challenge to the candidates on these issues that are so central to the Christian worldview. Let me tell you what you ought to be thinking about if you're really serious about serving this country. Number one, you ought to be thinking about integrity, about integrity. Secondly, bravery, bravery. What kind of bravery? The kind of bravery that is prepared to take on the educational chaos that is represented in the schools of our world. The bravery that is prepared to take on the onslaught against the unborn. When a lady goes into the hospital for an ultrasound, there are two patients in that hospital. There are two heartbeats, and the basic rights of patients, which are stuck on walls all across the hospitals of America extend to the tiniest patients, too. Iowa just passed the heartbeat law. The governor was there herself, unbelievably brave, and on the receiving end of all kinds of vitriol. That's what I'm talking about, bravery. Brave enough to challenge the notion that a woman is only free if she is free to rid herself of her unwanted child. That is not freedom, because it doesn't take any account of the child itself. Brave enough to take a stand for the least and the last and the left out. Brave enough to say that Jesus came to the margins of society. Brave enough to affirm the immutability of biological sex. Brave enough to say, if you were born as a man, you will die as a man no matter what you do to yourself. Brave enough to wear a T-shirt that says, real women aren't men. Coming up... The reason Jesus came was to make all things new. The reason Jesus came was to die for our sins. We're going to continue with Alistair Begg when the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. In just 10 minutes, I can zip through 10 stories that help me start my day and help shape where I go with The Mike Gallagher Show. 
Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. I'm Scott Furrow. People are angry today. The left is mad at the right. The right is mad at the left. People are seeking to cancel one another for their crimes and offenses against contemporary sensibilities of one sort or another. We are, simply put, a broken people. Let's return to Alistair Begg, the voice you'll hear in his daily program, Truth for Life. Why is it, incidentally, that people are so incredibly angry? Why is it that mere mortals, we have decided that we can enforce judgment ourselves, that we can decide what is to be listened to, that we can decide how punishments are to be executed? How did this happen? Well, I think it's partly this, that having recognized, decided that there is no God who would be the one as the judge of all the earth to execute judgment and righteousness, since there is no objective reality on the basis of which he might do so, then we're going to have to do it for him. It's not so much that we replaced him by idols as that we decided we would take his place. I think that's in part what's going on. People are so incredibly angry about what we believe or how we behave or what we say. We'll cancel you. We'll punish you. We'll fix you. We'll do what God is supposed to be doing. How is it possible, then, that God can look on us without displeasure and we can look on God without fear? And the answer is, of course, in our third word, new, new. Because into the badness of a world that has rejected God, God himself has come. We have to be bold enough to let this be said, that Jesus Christ is not a figment of our imagination, that Jesus Christ's appearing in Bethlehem has actually made such a mark on history that although it is trendy to dispense with B.C. and A.D., we know there was a time before Jesus, there is a time after Jesus. And the reason Jesus came was to make all things new. The reason Jesus came was to die for our sins. Two things that we have to be able to say to our friends. Number one, all of us are made in the image of God, without exception— whatever your background, whatever your color, whatever your intellect, whatever it might be. Every child conceived in the womb of a mother is there as a result of the purposeful mind of Almighty God, not as there as a result simply of sexual intercourse, for that is not a very manageable way to produce a population, because it doesn't happen most of the time, right? But when it happens, God did it all made in his image, all sinful before him, and all in need of the salvation that can only be provided in the Lord Jesus himself. 
that the story of the good news is that our messed up, broken lives may be restored, refreshed, renewed, put back together in a better version than before as a result of what Jesus has done, that Jesus has borne the judgment that we deserve, that he grants to us a forgiveness that we don't deserve. He takes all of our stuff, takes it on to himself, and credits us with his righteousness. Now, you would think that a story like this would immediately result in people standing up from their seats and going, this is fantastic. I never heard such a thing before. But what does it mean? I tell you, try it in your office tomorrow. Tell them this in the office tomorrow. Tell them, hey, George, do you know that when God made the world, he made it really good? And George is probably going to say, well, how come it's so bad? Glad you asked. That's the second word. Now, let's just hold it there for a moment. And, but but he's ma- he makes things new. How does he do that? Well, through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, at that point, it goes south. No, because it is an offense to George's pride. It's, or Georgina. Um, I mean, a lady, not. It's an offense to pride intellectually and morally intellectually, because a person says, I'm too clever to believe stuff like that. I'm too clever to believe that a Galilean carpenter who lived 2,000-plus years ago and died on a cross is actually the answer to the entire world's predicament. I'm too clever for that. Pride. Or, I'm actually too good. I don't need that. I don't need anyone dying on a cross for me. I'm a moral person. I'm a fairly decent soul. I pay my taxes. I look after things. It is offensive to people's pride. Coming up, the souls of a country are the souls of individuals. It is only Jesus who provides rest for our souls. When the Christian Outlook continues in just a moment, stay with us. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Scott Furrow. Americans have long prided themselves on their independence. We are a self-sufficient people. We stand on our own. Yes, there is an upside to this independence. It has, for example, fueled the American work ethic, which has, in large part, been honoring to God. But this independence has a downside as well. We are a proud people. Let's listen to Alistair Begg speaking initially to aspiring nominees for President of the United States. You've really got two classes of people. I'm not talking Republican and Democrat, no. I'm talking about people who say, you know, we can work this out, and people who say, help. That's it. We can work it out. Don't worry. We've seen things like this before. We can fix this. Or, help. Help. You see, it's not that our friends and neighbors have considered the evidence and they found it wanting. It is actually that they haven't considered the evidence. 
Chuck Colson was such a wonderful illustration of a brave man, a marine, a clever man, an intellectual giant, the hatchet man in Nixon's White House, who ends up in jail. Ends up in jail. Why? Well, he, along with others, got over his skis. He thought they could do things that they shouldn't do. And yet he was intrigued to try and make sense of how such a broken situation could be repaired. And his friend, you will remember, if you've read the book Born Again, his friend spoke to him very clearly about these things one evening in his home in Southern California, the friend's home. And he said to Chuck, he said, you know what your problem is? Your problem is pride. That's why you don't believe. It's not it's nothing else. You're a proud person. Colson took it, got out of that guy's house, went down the steps of his house, got into his car, put his keys in the ignition, and by his own testament, he burst into tears. The hatchet man singing in his car, crying like a baby, because the fact that his friend had been brave enough to put his finger on it turned the key for Colson. Has God used a friend to turn the key for you? Or are you still making your way through this weary pilgrimage saying, I can work it out? Now you need to come and say, help. Now, before we come to the final word, let me just say something in passing, and it is this, that what we're dealing with here is, first of all, historical. The material to which I refer actually happened. You don't just need your Bible. You can go to extra-biblical sources. You will find that the history of the world records that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, was worshipped by his followers as God Almighty. It's historical. It's rational. In other words, you don't have to disengage your mind in order to come to an understanding of it. It is at the same time universal— it's not some esoteric little notion for a few strange people that exist somewhere on the planet. It is the voice that has gone out to the very ends of the earth, and the application of it is personal. And yet the fact of the matter is that it is regarded, if you're prepared to be brave enough to say it, we're regarded as those who have embraced superstitious beliefs, living, as it were, in a primitive bygone age— and out onto the streets with our brand of mythology and bigotry. That's the way it's understood. The the issue is not argument. The issue is the risen life of the Lord Jesus Christ. But our friends say to us, well, then, you're not a perfect person at all. He said, no, absolutely not. Well, Well, I thought he made you perfect. Well, he declared me righteous, and he's in the process of making me look a bit more like that declaration. I remember when my son once said to me, Dad, do you ever sin? And then I think he must have been one at the time. (laughs) By the time he was five, he says, Dad, do you ever stop uh, sinning? So that's our last word, perfect. Perfect. Good, bad, new, perfect. We are now the children of God, writes John, but it doth not yet appear what we shall be. For when he appears, we will be like him, 
You see, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Otherwise, I don't know how we explain the songs we're singing. Uh, we will crumble in dust, and the, the, the universe will pass away, and so on. You see, whatever your view of climate change, the perfection that God has planned involves a universe, a new heaven, and a new earth in which dwells righteousness with no cancer, no plastic bottles jamming up the rivers, no nothing, absolutely perfect. And in one sense, that says to us, okay, well, then take care of what you've got. And at the same time, it says to our friends, relax. The Creator has this covered. But you see, if there is no Creator— who providentially sustains the universe by the word of his power, then there is no one who is going to be able to put this to rights. That is why our friends are so anxious to fix everything. Now, this perfection of the human heart is going to be such that it will be understandable. The longings of the human heart all met in the work of Jesus— all the longings of our world today, where, you know, again, I'd like to buy the world a Coke and keep it company. I'd like to teach the world to sing in, in perfect harmony. Yeah, of course. Who, who wants to live at war with other people? Who wants the races to be antagonistic to one another? Who wants nations to war against nations? Who wants this? Nobody wants this, except some who perhaps— have decided that if we can only destabilize the entire world, perhaps we will be able to introduce a new reality, a new ideology, a new scheme of things. Woodstock in 69 was an attempt to rebuild the country's soul. That hasn't happened, has it? You can't rebuild a country's soul. The souls of a country are the souls of individuals. It is only Jesus who provides rest for our souls— Come to me. Take my yoke. Learn from me. I'm the humble king. I'm gentle. You will find rest for your souls. Coming up... It's past time to pray for a massive spiritual awakening. We don't need a church that will move with the world. We need a church that will move the world. A few more minutes with Alistair Begg when the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. For more than a century, AM Radio has evolved to meet the needs of our community. In their car, at home, or on the job, more than 80 million listeners depend on AM Radio each month. AM Radio is also the backbone of the emergency alert system, which keeps us safe in dangerous times. It's reliable, free, and public safety depends on it. Text AM to 52886 and tell Congress we need AM Radio in cars. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Scott Furrow. The times that we are living through today have been, I'm sure, a source of anxiety for many listening today. Alistair Begg has given us a solid biblical perspective on how we ought to stand these days and these times in which God has placed us. And we do well to recognize that it is God who retains absolute control over all the affairs of mankind. Let's return once again to Alistair Begg. The last word, and with this I finish, is the word humility. What I said to these people was, listen, prime ministers and presidents are not really who they think they are. They're important. God has established them. But they're not the movers and shakers. 
God is the one who does all the moving and all the shaking. And the prophets say it clearly, and we need to pay attention to what they tell us. It is God who sits above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain. He spreads them like a tent to dwell in. It is he who brings, quotes, princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely are they sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and the tempest carries them off as stubble. That's why the prophet says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom or the strong man boast in his strength or the rich man boast in being rich, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he knows me, the living and true God. Here, my friends, is where we are. If you're a believer this morning, you are in Christ, you're living your life in this world as a member of another world. It is past time to oppose the lies no God, no judgment, no objective truth, to oppose the lies while at the same time feeling compassion for those who've been deceived by them. It's past time to pray for a massive spiritual awakening. We don't need a church that will move with the world. We need a church that will move the world. And the signs of the prophets are not only written on the subway walls and the tenement halls and whispered in the sounds of silence, but they're also carved in to the historic buildings of the United States of America. You can go check. South entrance to Union Station, Washington, D.C., and carved into the stonework are three statements from Scripture. The desert shall bloom like a rose, all things under his feet, and the truth will set you free. That building, I think, was built in the first decade of the 20th century. I think there still was some notion of what under God really meant. We're long removed. God is sovereign. We are present for such a time as this. All flesh is like grass, the glory of man like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower falls. But the word of our God endures forever. And this is the word that by the gospel was preached to you. That concludes our program today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to mention it to a friend. You can find this special episode at ChristianOutlook.com. Our program has been brought to you in part through our partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. For executive producer Russell Shubin and producers David Pashan and Wilbert Flores, I'm Scott Furrow. Join us again next time for the Christian Outlook.